0: Uh, As you know, we're in Ephesians 4. We just read it, and so I won't read it again, but let me, we will dig into a good portion of it. It was really important for us to read that whole passage of Scripture, even though we won't have the time to dig through every part of that. Um, We'll just kind of pick it up as we go, as we look at, um, what is this, our fourth out of five weeks as to what it really looks like to be a maturing Christian. And so what is the scorecard for maturity? And so a few weeks ago, we talked about that first scorecard for us that are maturing, being those that would own our faith, as Paul told Timothy, to train yourself for godliness. Then a few weeks ago, uh, we also talked about not neglecting our gift, but to practice our gift in the presence of others so they can see our progress. Again, out of 1 Timothy 4. And then right in the middle of that passage is this charge that says, this is is a trustworthy saying. As if to say, my goodness, we have some things that we just don't trust God on. And so last week, we looked at Psalm 100 where we saw that not only is God God over all things, but He also is good in all things. And so now we turn the corner we kind of put together giftedness and ownership and the sovereignty of God all into one maybe two sermons this week and next week to go okay so now what happens as a result of this and the first thing that we're going to talk about after we've laid those foundations is this this fourth mark of maturity is that we would speak the truth to one another in love and all of you just went ha 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 I'll pass. Uh, I'll tell you right now, like this is the fifth draft of this sermon. When I told my wife that I was struggling writing this, she was like, wait a minute, you're struggling with truth and love? For real? And I'm like, yeah, like I'm just trying to put it all together. It's just a big concept. And yet it's so big in the Bible that the Bible says that this is your way to maturity in verse 15. We'll read that in just a moment. But if we look at this, it says we are to grow up. I want you to just see this first, that the path to maturity is not just ownership, not just practicing our gifts, not just also those that would trust the sovereignty and the providence of God, but that we would be people. God's vision for us is that we would grow up in every way, verse 15 would say, that we would grow up in every way, that we would not be baby birds with our mouths out waiting for somebody else to feed us but that we would grow up in every way, not just Sunday morning gathering, not just in neighborhood group two two or three hours a week, not just in three or four hours a week where we go into growth group as well, but in every way and all things, God's desire for every individual Christian and therefore churches and therefore the universal church worldwide is that we would grow up in every way. So before I go anywhere, do you believe that? Do you believe that God's vision for your life is that you would grow up in every way. And one day we will. But we don't wait until that day and go, oh, well, heaven's coming and we just can't wait. No, instead, eternal life is here and now. So how do we participate with God as He makes us new? Well, one way is to speak the truth in love. And the reason why is because it's the same thing that, that Paul would say to the church in Galatia. When he says to them about being uh, this, this image in us that would be formed in us. He says, my little children, in verse uh, chapter 419, my little children from whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. God's vision for us is that which He created in the garden, man and woman alike being created in the image of God, Then, now on the other side of the fall, we are now stained. That image in us is stained and tainted by sin. And so Jesus comes, and Paul says for all of us, oh, I'm in the anguish of childbirth until that image is restored in you. The image of God. The full image. Which we can look at and see in a person named Jesus that that would be our hope. That would be our goal. That would be God's vision for us. But I would say this, if this is the vision that God has for us, and we've been going at this thing called church for 2,000 years, what has happened? Truly, what has happened over these last 2,000 years? And what is holding us back? One thing that I think is holding us back is that we have the wrong scorecard. So, I don't know about you, but for years in traditional uh, American Christianity, I was told that the scorecard for maturity is basically get involved in a bunch of Christian things. So, you go on Sunday morning to a gathering, you may go to a Bible study, and if you're super mature, then you start serving the church in the nursery or in other areas. Like that was the means of maturity. And yet, what we know through looking at studies from a church called Willow Creek and now looking at the fruit of a church called Willow Creek. And if you don't know any about that, just Google it, it's fine. That they're they're coming to their end. All because they truly were the pioneers of a system that said, just get involved in Christian things and you will eventually become more like Jesus. See, the scorecard and the path of maturity has been wrong for about a generation or two now. And now all of a sudden, we've got to get back to the Bible and remind ourselves of the Scriptures and say, and it's not just about involvement. It's not just about being busy. It's not just about activity. It's about while we are doing these things, will we do the thing that God calls us to do? To speak the truth in love. It's a good question. It's a question I have to ask my own self. It's a question I'm asking you. Because speaking the truth in love is, I would say, a greater challenge than just showing up, serving, or sitting. But while we're doing those things, amongst other things, this great challenge is before us. And not only are we confused about this scorecard, but we're definitely confused about the game that we're playing. And so my question here is, how do we do this And what is the truth that we must tell each other? And I would say this, just starting off, I've only got two real main things that I'm talking about, and I don't even know if those are my main points that I put up on the screen. So just kind of just just bear with me as we roll through this. But the two truths that we must tell to one another. Verse 15, I'm going to read it one more time so we can hear it. Rather... And I'll get to the rather part, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. The goal is Christ. How will we get there? Speaking the truth in love to one another. We're to grow up in every way. What is that truth? Two things that I want to put before you as that truth. There's what I'm, uh, they're not opposed to each other, so just get out of your mind like black and white. They're all both good, but one is insufficient. So two truths that I think we need to speak to each other. One is a moral truth, and the other one is a maturing truth. Morality will lead to maturity, I understand. They're not opposed to each other. But one is a moral truth, and the other one is a maturing truth. Get those two categories in your mind. The moral truth is the right and wrong, okay? This is what you do when your friend is going to give a presentation at work right after lunch and they got a big old hunk of lettuce in their teeth. You go, hey, bro, you got some lettuce in your teeth. Don't be stepping up there like that. And it's a little embarrassing, but that's, you speak that truth to them. It's a right or wrong, but it's, it's not just preference. It's spinach in your teeth. It could be like, hey, you got bad B.O. Let me just love you and come around you and tell you you got bad B.O. Not just spinach in your teeth. Like to our students who are not in here, at some point, there's a time. I can talk trash about them because they're not here, apparently, uh, which I'll get to in just a second. That's a, actually not what we're supposed to do. Uh, and so, but, but truly, that these are these moral truths that you got bad body odor or like for me, this is why I think my wife laughed at me when I thought I'm really struggling through this, is that sometimes I think that I can just be a jerk and go, but I love you. That's a moral truth as well. Is like, hey man, you don't do that. I don't know if you know this, but you don't speak to your wife that way. And and, and that's a moral truth. And we need to hear that. And though I'm motivated in love, perhaps I could do it in a more loving way. So that's like a little more obvious that it's motivated in love. But there's a moral truth. This black and wife, this do this, Don't do that. We need the gentle and yet firm correction in our lives from our brothers and our sisters. Have you heard any gentle yet firm correction in your life in a while? If not, you're too disconnected from the way in which God wants you to mature. If you've not heard any gentle and yet firm correction along with like that moral truth that we would speak to each other, perhaps it is that you're too busy or you're too disconnected from the family of God which is put in your life to help you along the way. You see, we need this because speaking the moral truth takes courage, takes a commitment to a mutual Christ likeness. It takes humility on the on the part of the person that's saying something that maybe they're wrong. It also takes humility on the person who's receiving that truth to be able to receive that truth. See, this is this is the heart of, of following Jesus right here, of being able to work with words in such a way that is truthful and yet loving. I would say this: that we need to understand that speaking the truth in love though it is hurtful to hear, it is healing to receive. Sometimes that, 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 that though speaking the truth in love and, and having the, the, the truth spoken to us, though sometimes it's hurtful to hear, is healing as we receive it. The Old Testament is full of stories like this, full of Proverbs about this. Proverbs 20, verse 30 would say this, Blows that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes make the clean, make clean the inmost parts. You can only have a blow that wounds and is also cleansing if you are seeking the other's best interest. If you're just doing it to control them or to manipulate them, you will find that you're just throwing wounds at people and blows at people. They are not cleansing blows. And they will not provide healing along the way. It's a hard truth to remember that we are called to speak the truth in love to one another. Proverbs 27:6. This is what good friends do. I used to not be able to stand this verse, but have come back around to it. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. See, I was surrounded by a person that, that was just wounding me to prove to me they were their friend, and that's not how it works. How it works is you prove to them that you're a friend, and then you like, willfully, hesitantly, humbly wound them. Because you know that this present wound will cleanse in the long run. This present pain will provide healing over the long run. That's moral truth. That is also some maturing truth in there. So again, I don't want to just separate them completely. But if you look in the Old Testament, you will see a great example of this with David and Nathaniel in 2 Samuel 12. I'm not going to read a whole bunch from there, but if you want, you can turn there. It's going to come up on your screen as well. But if you don't know the story of David... David, the man after God's own heart, the one that we name all of our sons after, except for me, apparently. Um, We do this because um, he is a man after God's own heart. He ruled and reigned over the kingdom of Israel. But as he ruled and reigned over the kingdom of Israel, he also murdered and committed adultery along the way. Um, And so God uses broken people to do beautiful things. We need to understand that all throughout the Bible, because the guy that I did name my son after, Moses, he was actually a murderer as well. And so that just God is continually using broken people to create some maturity amongst God's people. But this is what happened in David's life. He goes out, the kings are out at war, and uh, instead of David going being out at war, he stays home, he sees a beautiful woman across the way. You know this story, you've probably left this story out of the Bible stories at home with your kids, but he sees this beautiful woman across the way, her name is Bathsheba, he must have her, he takes her in, they do their thing, she ends up getting pregnant, and all of a sudden there's a whole whirlwind of chaos that happens in David's mind. So what does he do? He has his... Her husband pulled off of the front lines of battle. Come home, hey. Why don't you go do married things with your wife, and that way it'll cover up my sin. And Uriah had such character. He said, "How can I go enjoy my wife when my men are out there dying for the cause?" And now David's in real pickle. So he sends Uriah back out. And he says, "Die for the cause, will you?" Good enough. So he sends a note to the commander of the army to put Uriah out in the front lines, and right when he's out on the front lines and the enemy charges, he makes his army pull back from Uriah so that Uriah will be killed in the heart of battle. Terrible. All that because he wants Bathsheba. All that because he wants another man's wife. So Nathan comes to David and he goes, hey man, you ever heard this story about a rich man that has everything and then takes everything from a poor man? He only had one thing. And then you know he took the one thing that that poor man had. And David goes, accursed with that man. That man needs to repay everything he has fourfold. And Nathan goes, you're the guy. And he says this in verse 9. Why have you despised the Word of the Lord, David? You've done wrong. You've done evil in His sight. You've done a moral, unbelievably morally heinous thing, David. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and you've taken his wife to be your wife. You've killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Consequences, my friend. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. And thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you, David, out of your own house. Now if you're Nathan and you were just told by God to go talk to the guy that just had somebody murdered, I'd imagine that was a tough ask. That's what we need, friends. We need friends that will approach our other friends knowing they could burn you down with their words. But to be able to just trust the Lord and deliver a message, hey brother, hey sister, we give you this truth in love. We need to be friends that will be willing to wound one another in love for the hope of the other person, not in manipulation or in control, but truly for the maturity of another. Love this quote. This quote has been in our house for years. It still sits on my desk. It was on our refrigerator for many years. It's by a guy by the name of Paul Waddell. I've quoted it before. I'm going to probably quote it again 18 million times over my years of ministry. But he says this, talking about becoming friends and speaking the truth to one another, if we suspect the foundations of a relationship are so fragile, we will say anything but the truth. Because we fear that the truth will only expose how frail the relationship really is. You see, in such situations, people can be cheerful and friendly to one another, and outside observers seem full of care for one another. Oh, but they have an unspoken agreement. Never to be completely truthful with one another because they know the bond of their relationship is so threadbare that the weight of the truth would snap it. We'd be truthful to one another and speak a moral truth to one another. But as I've been saying, there are two truths we need to speak. Not just a moral right or wrong, yes or no, black or white truth. We also need what I'm dubbing the maturing truth. The maturing truth is actually what Paul is talking about in this passage. These are the truths of the gospel, the truths about Jesus. Verse 21, he says, verse 15 says, speak the truth to one another. And then we have a whole lot of parenthetical understanding as to what that looks like. And then he clarifies in verse 21. In comparison to the Gentiles who didn't learn Jesus in a certain way, he says, verse 21 Assuming that you have heard about Jesus and you were taught in Jesus, as the truth is in Jesus. The truth that we're supposed to speak to each other that will definitely create maturing fruit in each other's life is the truth of Jesus, the truth of the gospel. That's even a tougher ask. The path of maturity is to speak the truth in love to one another. And then, yes, a few verses later, He gives us this context. Why the truth of the Gospel? In Romans 1.16, it says, the Gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. It is in these truths that hold transformation. You can speak a moral truth and they will conform. Their outward self will change. They will quit doing that and start doing this. Our kids are full of moral truths. Quit smacking at the dinner table. If you're going to pray, why don't you pray with respect? If you can go to bed now, that would be super awesome. School is starting soon. We, they're, they're full of some moral truths, and yet they're conforming to a new law. The law was fortnight whenever you want. Now the new law is school is here. And you've got to do some things, and so we're asking you to do some. The outside is changing. The inside is still a desire for something else. But their outside is going to change. See, that's moral truth. A maturing truth. The truth that comes with the power of the gospel. These truths about Jesus, they change the inside. They have the power for not just confirmation, but transformation. Moral truth will never do it. Spinach in your teeth will never do it. But the gospel is the only thing that has the power to transform our hearts. If we were to just flip a little bit to the left, we would find a great example of this in the scriptures in Galatians chapter 2. Mine is two pages, three pages to the left in Galatians chapter 2. Look what Paul does to Peter in front of everybody. So Peter is. in this this town, in the the Galatia, and he's hanging out with Gentiles. And all of a sudden, uh, James, who's the pastor and the elder of the church in Jerusalem, which just happens to be where there's a bunch of Jewish believers there, he sends out a delegate out to the church in Galatia. And when the Jewish believers get up to to Galatia, Peter goes, oh, whoops, I didn't know. I was at the uncool kids' table at lunch. I'm going to go over here where the cool kids look and the cool kids eat. And so he was hanging out with Gentiles, probably eating bacon, because who doesn't want to enjoy bacon? And then all of a sudden, the Jewish believers show up and no bacon is allowed. And so he goes, I, didn't, I don't even know those guys over there. I don't know what you're talking about. And Peter does this. And Paul does this with Peter. Galatians 2.11. We, we need to hear something in verse 14. When we get there, have your eyes wide open to 14. But we've got to read a little bit. Verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, Excuse me, this is all in Antioch, my bad. Uh, when Peter goes to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, those that were Jewish, believing. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So they were all hanging out with the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, a Jewish delegate comes from the Jewish, mainly Jewish church in Jerusalem. And they all start to act hypocritically in verse 13. And they acted hypocritically along with him. Even so much so that even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was led astray by their hypocrisy. In verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel I said to Cephas Peter before all of them if you thought if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews What is he really doing there is he is confronting the hypocrisy that Peter had He was once comfortable with the Gentile people, and then the Jewish people show up, and he becomes uncomfortable with that arrangement, and all of a sudden, his hypocrisy starts to lead others away from the unity, which is what we read about, the unity of the faith. See, that's the kind of maturing truth that we need. Your life is out of step with the gospel. Not with my preferences, not with moral right and wrong, but with the gospel. So if someone is struggling in their marriage, we don't just give them marriage advice of a date, night, and perhaps flowers. We remind them of Jesus' pursuit of them which should f- fuel their pursuit of one another. That is truth reminded in the Gospel. When someone who can't quit working, you remind them that the truth of the Gospel is that they don't have to work for their acceptance with God. they got to work. But don't overwork so as to fuel some sort of acceptance idol in you. When someone, when you hear of someone's anger problem, we don't just tell them be angry and do not sin. We remind them that God has poured out his wrath on the son of Jesus. And he didn't take his anger out on you. So why do you take your anger out on others? When we learn of your brother's problem with pornography, we don't just offer accountability and point them to some software. We remind them that Jesus has pursued and purchased their purity. And that they were bought with this precious price of the blood of Jesus. And the power to pull away is theirs already in Christ. When someone is anxious or fearful about their job, we don't just help them connect with a recruiter. We remind them that Jesus holds the whole world together, and surely He is capable of holding their lives together in that moment. When someone struggles on how to handle their money, we don't just send them to Dave Ramsey, although we probably should, but we remind them that they are rich because Jesus Himself became poor, and so therefore we can live with generosity upon generosity. See, that's what happens when we speak these truths to one another. It's not about right and wrong anymore. It's about how has Jesus so loved you and therefore how are you going to rearrange your life around that truth? See, that changes the game. So much so that Jeff Vanderstelt would say this, this is what it looks like for us to continue to speak this truth to one another. If we're going to mature, this is what it takes. He says this, if we are to help one another grow up in Christ in every way, we need to learn how to speak the truths of Christ into everything, into every aspect of life, every situation we face, and every issue we address. So I would ask you this, are you willing to step out in faith, speak the truth in love, And then, are you willing to accept the truth in love with humility? It's a good question because I think we've got some great obstacles ahead of us in speaking the truth in love to one another. And if I may, I want to go through a couple of these because I think deception is our greatest enemy. You realize that you're in a world that prefers to deceive you, right? Like, I'll give you a, here's a great, they're going to split the room. You ready? So um, who gets their news from CNN? Wow, like three of you. You're not even, you're just doing this right here. <laughs> Fox News? Oh yeah, more. Now you're like, mm, yeah, <laughs> me. Okay, where do you get your news? CBS, ABC, The Chronicle, NBC, where do you get your news? And how do you know it's reliable? Some of you are like Drudge Report or whatever, like a random website there is. How do you know it's reliable? You actually don't, right? You're trusting someone else to actually report a faithful representation of what actually went down. And that's become such a problem that we trust Twitter or Facebook feeds or whatever as opposed to like the main people that gave their lives to be able to go and study how to do journalism because we know that everybody's, just reporting with a slant. Everybody's got some kind of bias that they don't even know that they're reporting from, so as, and I know that they're not doing it on purpose, but there's a deception in that. See, the truth is that the way to maturity, if the way to maturity is the Lord's, then that means Satan will constantly set up easier. When you to hear that, it's easier to not speak or receive the truth in love. Satan will constantly set up easier yet false and more comfortable means of security in immaturity. Here's how I know this. I want you to just follow with me in this passage in verse uh, chapter 4. This is why I had the Zurchers read all of it. Verse 14b. Okay? Right before 15. Actually, I'll just read 14. So that we may no longer be children. We don't want to be children anymore. Immature. Tossed to and fro by the waves carried around by every wind of Doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. Look at all these words that Paul is using about speaking the truth to one another and the deception that cultures have just inherently. Verse 22, he would say this, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You're going to have desires that deceive you into thinking that's what you want. When Jesus is... Over here, going, but life is this way. And you go, but I like this over here. But life is this way. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. The greatest enemy, y'all, of our maturity is falsehood, deception. And the greatest liar that we will come up against, besides the liar himself, Satan, the greatest liar that we will come up with is you. is yourself. We lie to ourselves constantly as so we need to preach the Gospel to ourselves. Constantly. And most of us have deceived ourselves into thinking that either speaking the truth without love, or loving people without the truth is good enough. Alright, y'all, y'all ain't tracking with me anymore. Most of us have deceived ourselves into thinking that either speaking the truth without love or loving the people, loving people without truth is a good landing spot. But let me put this up on the screen so we can see it. Half obedience is full disobedience. Half obedience is full disobedience. We need truth and we need love because at the heart of only pursuing truth or only pursuing love is a person who struggles with trusting Jesus, the Gospel, for their help and hope. And they have placed their help and hope in something else. Either an idol of, of acceptance and comfort or an idol of power and control. And here's how these things flesh themselves out. If we are those that fail to speak the truth, I would ask for like, some volunteers to raise your hand, but I'm not going to go there today. But like, if you put yourself in the camp of, I have a hard time speaking the truth to people. I have a hard time with hard conversations. We probably struggle with finding our full acceptance with God and therefore unhealthily seek the acceptance from people. The fear of man is a snare and a trap. And those that fail to speak the truth, well, those that shrink, they, they shrink from the truth because others uh, provide the acceptance and the comfort that God has designed that Jesus' Spirit would give you. We shrink back from the responsibility and are tempted to gossip or slander our brothers, and we do that with others that we might find that may agree with us. And so if you don't know what gossip and slander are, I mean it is spreading true gossip is spreading true. I want you to hear this. Gossip is spreading true but unfavorable information about someone else in a spirit of confidentiality. So this usually comes in the form of, "Hey, would you pray for, pray for me or pray with me about Mark John, John Mark. My bad. I could pick an easier name with my examples. Hey, would you pray with me? about Brett? Here, that's an easy one I can get. Would you pray with me about Kara? Because you know Kara. That's how it usually comes out. That's, it's gossip. It's true, but unfavorable, right? And then there's slander. Slander is just spreading rumors, lies to defame another person's reputation. So if you are prone to not speaking the truth, but you want to love people, and yet you find acceptance in some peers that you might be able to talk to about someone else, what are you gaining by gossiping? And if you're one of those people that just has a, an easy time of just spreading rumors, what are you gaining and how has Jesus already given you what you seek by spreading lies? Truly, isn't it, is it not acceptance? Is it not uh, being known? We gossip and slander instead of speaking the truth and love to one another because we deceive ourselves into thinking that my maturity or their maturity isn't worth the cost. So, we don't want to look foolish. We don't want to face rejection. We don't want to be uncertain. But is not the reward of maturity worth it? Is not the fact that that other person's maturity into Christ worth the risk? If you're the person that falls into I-just-love-people category, is not your maturity and is not their maturity worth the risk? and worth being obedient to be able to speak those moral and maturing truths to one another. Easy for me to say that part. Harder for me to go to the other side. I fall on the side of those that are fine with speaking the truth, but do it really poorly. And so the motivation of love is not always there. And and do I not? Not. And do you not, if you're in this camp with me, do we not struggle with the idols of control and power? And these idols falsely promise to me and to you that we, we, we just have to be truthful. It doesn't matter how it comes out. They have to just work out however it comes out. Do we not, do we not fall into that camp? See, we can just be a jerk for being a jerk's sake. And so, well, I don't you know, I'm just. I mean, in love. You should know that. I love you. Come on. Those that struggle on this side of the perspective struggle with manipulation and harshness. We don't struggle with gossip and slander. We struggle with manipulation and being harsh. Manipulation is ultimately this, using another person to achieve my own goals. Saying it's for them, but really it's for you. And so how can you seek the other person's good? Good. If it's not manipulation, it's harshness. And so to speak in such a way, what being harsh means is that you are speaking in such a way as to embitter them, to provide poison to their hearts. Literally what the Greek says. To spoil the milk that is in the fridge, ultimately. When we speak harshly, How can we soften the blow so that they can receive the truth? Because here is the great temptation for those that struggle on this side. It takes a lot of effort to make this receivable. I don't think I have that much effort in me. So we're just going to go with what we got. That's disobedience, friends. Because we're speaking the truth, but they don't know that it's done with a motivation and a love and a care for the other person. I want you to just see this and then we'll end and we'll take communion. Look at what this looks like in Ephesians 4. Look at how we are to speak the truths of Jesus to one another, the gospel to each other over and over and over again, because this passage will tell us, verse 15, speak the truth in love. Because we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Going down to 22, I've already referred to these before, but I want to read the whole part. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? Because we are members of one another. We belong to one another. And so therefore, my maturity, if you can't speak the truth to me, my maturity is at stake. If I can't speak the truth to you, your maturity is at stake. And if we can't speak the truth in love to one another, our maturity is at stake. We will perpetually be baby birds with the wrong scorecard if we can't come alongside one another and not just speak hard things, but encouraging things. Because if you're on my side of the perspective, the harder truth to tell is the encouraging one. Amen. I was, I was like, we were at the pelching yesterday and I left with one word and everybody, all the orphan kids' mouths really and hearts, I wanted them to hear from me was this, you're doing good. It's hard here. You keep up. You keep it up, okay? You keep being strong. It's hard here. I want you to acknowledge, we know it's hard. You keep it up. God's faithful to you. Okay. I don't know if they received it. I don't know if they heard it or not. Just one encouraging word to be able to speak to them. Not just the hard stuff, but the good stuff as well. We continue on. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths in verse 25, but only such, uh, excuse me, 29. But only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I'll leave you with this thought. Our maturity is on the other side of taking this risk, of speaking the truth in love. Not seeking acceptance or power or control or comfort, but being rooted in the Gospel that my acceptance is found in what Jesus has done for me. I am fully justified with my Father. And if He accepts me and loves me, then surely I can take this risk and speak this truth this way. See, that's what's at stake for us. That's the way forward as we will mature is to speak the truth in love. Will we do this well? Now here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want us to hear this and all those who speak the truth really well just go, finally, I've been wanting to say this to that girl. Mm." And then all of a sudden you go without the Spirit's prompting and power and patience you you still get what we didn't read in this story about Nathan and Daniel he heard from the lord and then went to Daniel don't do this haphazardly cuz it will not create unity or maturity you will mature the wrong way through failure and repentance which we're all maturing in that way on some level but truly what i Hope and pray is that we would be a people that see this beautiful vision in one another of maturity, of formation, of the image of God being put back into our hearts and being able to do so in such a gentle and yet firm way to speak the gospel to one another, remind one another of what God has done for us, and so that we don't have to achieve it or earn it or do it on our own. That's the heart. Of what we're talking about today. Would you pray for me? Or pray with me? Pray for me too. Father, we love You. We're going to remind ourselves of the Gospel here in a moment through communion. Before we get there, we want to be reminded of what You've done for us. And so, the only way we're going to speak the truth to each other, the only way that we're going to do that in love is if we are reminded of the ways that You've loved us and cared for us. So before we go get our kids and bring them back in here and continue to be parents, let us first be kids. Let us first be children of our God Most High. Father, would you help us by your Spirit? Would you help us know what we need in this moment? As we head back into a crazy week, as we head back into a community that that both loves one another and yet, yet... struggles with loving one another through these things, would You would you help us? Remind us what we need to hear in the Gospel, whether it's the fact that we've been fully made right with God and so we don't have to earn our rightness. We don't have to love anybody in order to be loved because, oh, our Father has loved us in the Son. We don't have to achieve because... Our identity is not found in our works, but in the work of Your Son, Jesus. We don't have to be holy because You are our holiness for us. And so we we pursue our holiness in You, Jesus. We don't have to become knowledgeable upon knowledge. No, instead, we find that the, the mind of God is in Christ Jesus. We don't have to find our identity and finding security, but instead realize that the security that we have in You is all we'll ever need. We don't need to go find another adventure somewhere else because all the adventure we'll ever need is in Your Son, Jesus. And that is the great adventure. We don't need to live by our own power, but from the power which we find in the Gospel. Help us. We also don't need to leave for our own peace. If those of us are struggling with just anxiety and uncertainty around us, we need to know that peace You leave with us through Your Holy Spirit. Whatever aspect of the Gospel, whatever varied portion of grace that we need to be reminded of, remind us of that first so that we then can be reminding those things of others. Help us, we pray in Christ's name, amen.